Hello, I am Marianne Asylum, aka Mary. I am a Lebanese Aboriginal bisexual woman. Hello, I'm Duryadhan Hawk, also known as Daya. I'm an Indonesian Pakistani non binary lesbian. We are two writers who love movies, television, and books, especially when they're gay. And welcome to Gay V Club, where we'll be analyzing LGBT texts that we like, that we don't like, and how we relate to these texts as gay people of color. Woo! Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Hope we're all doing well. It's the end of the year. Congratulations. We may all made it this far. As always, if you like Gay V Club, don't forget to leave a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to recommend us to your friends. Yes, please. To your crush. I don't know. Maybe you have some gay parents or uncles, some gunkles. Or even just recommend us to your general, like, film nerd friends. Yeah. I'm sure they'll get a kick out of it, too. We are on Twitter and Instagram at gayv underscore club. And if you'd like to support us, we've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash gayvclub. And you can access a whole bunch of little bonus episodes and other content there. For example, Dee's review of Ammonite is there. <laughs> so, yeah, go sign up for our Patreon for little goodies like that. What are we talking about today, Duryodhan? This is our last episode of the year, so we'll be recapping slash reviewing LGBT film, TV, and other media of 2020. And there's actually been a lot, like a surprising amount, I'd say, given the state yes, of things. Given the state of accessibility and cinema in general, like and, mm. and also TV, it is it is pleasantly surprising yeah how much there is and i think that's also a testament to like how much more visible lgbt rep is becoming i mean that does come with its own set of problems but i do think it's overall a good thing a friend messaged me the other day because she listened to our decade in review episode that we oh, released at the year. end of last year yeah, yeah. and she was saying like how it was kind of haunting because we were so optimistic <laughs> at the end of it and um yeah i would listen to a little bit of it and i'm like wow we oh yeah that is we had no idea but that's fine because you know who can predict this kind of thing (laughs) but also you know we were a little bit right because you know how we noticed that there was like an increase in visible accessible lgbt stories as the years went on and i guess 2020 is another example of this well there you go even despite everything that's happened like a lot of lgbt media has endured and been put out this year so there's quite a lot of selection it's not slim pickings at all and we can actually pick and choose which ones we like definitely so yeah but yeah i mean obviously um the biggest gay film of the year you know (laughs) is tenet you know mr nolan pulled through (laughs) for us on that one (laughs) the only reason tenet is the biggest gay film of the year was because venom 2's release got delayed this is true so yeah this episode we're going to talk about our favorite well, not necessarily our favorite. We're going to have a look at various LGBT films, documentaries, TV shows, music even, that's come out in 2020. Some of the films we will be mentioning are from 2019. Quite a lot of stuff doesn't have general releases until the year after that kind of thing. Like they're held over from film festivals, etc. All right, let's go. Right off the bat, we have... <laughs> bat. Um, <laughs> right off the bat, we have Birds of Prey, directed by Kathy Yan. We did do a whole episode on Birds of Prey. We have dedicated too much airtime to Harley Quinn in general. Incorrect. There's never too much airtime 
given to we've had the birds of prey episode and we've also talked about her quite in depth on like three separate occasions i'm sorry you're saying this like it's a bad thing and i'm just okay yeah Yeah. next up we have the half of it which was alice Wu's first film in 15 years go listen to our episode on that we don't need to elaborate but the first film that i'm actually going to discuss is and then we danced by levan akin this is a film that received a 15-minute standing ovation at Cannes last year, which, wow. when you think about it, Mariana, is really impressive considering Parasite, which was also played at Cannes last year, only mm. got eight minutes. Oh, only eight. Yeah, Dude. only got eight minutes. I Killed My Mother also got eight minutes. Um, so yeah, 15 minutes, that's that's a crazy amount of time to be I'm clapping. So, I don't understand the French and their standing ovations at Cannes. What the heck? I actually love that video of Bong Joon-ho like, during the standing ovation being like, I want to go eat. Yeah, literally, I would start <laughs> feeling very awkward very fast. I'd be like, is this going to stop? Or, oh, right? no, we're still going? Oh, okay. And like, oh. there's videos of these things happening. And unfortunately, screenings of this film in Georgia, like where the film is set, where the film's made, sparked some homophobic protests, which is quite sad. Mm. But yeah, it's a story about a boy who's on the national dance team who falls in love with a newcomer to the team. And I think it's a really beautiful story because as he's a dancer, his entire like physicality changes and like the way he moves totally changes and becomes like freer as he comes into his sexuality. So it's really cool, I think. And I would recommend this movie. Absolutely. Some people say that the ending is sad, but I I think it's like really amazing. Next up, we have Monsoon. Hong Kong's latest film. It's the Gay Henry Golding movie where he goes back to Vietnam to settle affairs after his mother dies. It's very sweet. Initially, I'll be honest, I don't think I was in the right headspace approaching this movie. I didn't really vibe with it like when I first watched it, but honestly, the more I thought about it, the more it grew on me. And I love the performances in this film. I love what the film is saying about diaspora and about the legacies and the intergenerational trauma of displacement and war specifically the vietnam war obviously i do think it's a very beautiful film it's very much like poetry when i think about it Hmm. and the reason i say poems is because sometimes poems take a little while to sink in with you but once they do they stay with you and monsoon is like that kind of film for me i feel there's a lot of homages to uracetical's work which is great I do think it's important to note here that Henry Golding is Malaysian Iban, so he's not Vietnamese, and I don't believe that Southeast Asians should be considered interchangeable when you're casting these kinds of stories, but I guess it helped with funding, um, which is quite sad, but yeah, it's it's true. But yeah, regardless, I did really enjoy it. The next film is Ellie and Abby and Ellie's Dead Aunt by Monica Zanetti. It's an Australian film where a teenage girl starts receiving terrible dating advice from the ghost of her dead lesbian aunt. It's a really lovely little coming-of-age story that also deals very specifically with Australia's, not even Australia's, like Sydney's Mm. LGBT history specifically. And it's really nice to see an Australian film that is so specifically Australian in that way. I love this movie. I got to write a piece on it for Melbourne Film Festival this year. Mm. I think this film is really lovely, especially in the way that it deals with different generations of being gay and how that affects relationships between younger gays and older gays. But I'll put that link in a little mm-hmm. caption for people that want to read it. It's such a nifty little film. Oh, next up we have another Australian gem. I think this will be a classic. I think it'll take a while to grow on people, but once it does, <laughs> it's going to be a classic. True History of the Kelly Gang, directed by Justin Kurzel. 
the whole like loud uh, subtext of this movie is just believe it or not, like believe it or not, Ned Kelly was gay. <gasps> I know. But yeah, I really love the visuals and just the script of this movie is so raw. A lot of it's... people hate this movie and what? that Who? saddens me. <laughs> Where? Where are these people? <laughs> but yeah, all you George Mackay peeps, you know, you like What the... George Mackay peeps? The 1917 hoes. What Sorry. 1917 hoes listen to this podcast? Uh, I'm sure there is like at least two. Like, okay. statistically, there must be like two. So, could okay. you two please watch True History of the Kelly Gang? Hmm. I don't know. My most vivid memory after watching this was I was like, oh, I really love George Mackay. And Dee was like, another harmless man for you to like. Congratulations. Another harmless, non threatening man. <laughs> I am nothing if not consistent. George Mackay is everywhere. He is like accidentally one of my most watched actors. A king. Next up we have Emma by Pablo Lorraine. It's a musical and probably one of the prettiest films of the year. And we also have Matthias and Maxime. As people who have been listening to this podcast are aware, I am a very unapologetic Xavier Dolan stan. Um, and I loved this movie even though a lot of people were like, this isn't as good as this other stuff. Of course it will never, like, you can't get better than Mommy, but um, this is a really lovely film, I think. I really love when Dolan is like, look how beautiful my friends are. What do you need a plot for? <laughs> and yeah, this is definitely one of those movies. And there is this really amazing needle drop of Work Bitch by Britney Spears. Yeah. But the important question was, mm -hmm. was there some backs of some heads? Like, did were there shots of the backs of people's heads? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good. That's, um, that's <laughs> I'm I'm just here to make sure the man's is consistent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next film is Shirley, the Josephine Decker film. If you were a fan of Madeline's Madeline, I highly recommend this movie because, like that one, it's such a sensory experience. Like when you're watching it, it's amazing. I don't know how much of the narrative is true, but it's about Shirley Jackson as she's writing the missing girl and about her relationship with this woman who moves into her house because their husbands are working together. It's just really interesting and gay. Next up, we have Shiver Baby by Emma Seligman. Oh, mate, this is one of my favorite films of the year. It is a comedy slash drama slash borderline horror movie about a bisexual disaster trying to survive her claustrophobic family at a wake or a shiva. And it stars Rachel Sennett and Molly Gordon. This film is so clever. It is filmed in the one house, pretty much. The way the mood shifts, it keeps feeling like a completely different place as the mood of the film shifts, and it's just incredible. Emma Seligman, she captured exactly how I feel at the majority of my family reunions. Next up, we had Suk Suk, or Twilight's Kiss, by Ray Young. It's a Hong Kong film about two closeted gay men who are both retired in their late 60s, falling in love. It takes a pretty lovely, compassionate look into Hong Kong's gay elderly community and how they sort of have to live in secret, sort of on the fringes. And as sad as that can sound, like there is this very beautiful like element of community to it in how close all these men are. There's also an element of what I said before about how different generations experience queerness and the conflicts with that it's just a really beautiful film it's so gentle 
It is so gentle. Next film is No Hard Feelings, directed by Iranian director Faraz Shariat. It's a German film about a young gay man of Iranian descent falling in love with another guy while doing community service at a refugee detention centre. Definitely influenced by Xavier Dolan. Like, the tone of this movie felt very Dolan-like in the best way. The way it was shot even in the... um, The backs of the heads. Square aspect ratio and the bright colours and the even the backs of some heads and the way it was also dealing with all these very complex themes through the eyes of someone who's really young like I haven't seen all of Xavier Dolan's filmography but I even even still I could spot the sort of homages and the influences and I mean that like as a compliment not to say that this guy was just copying it was actually really nice to see a film that felt so similar to Dolan but like also its own thing it was actually really pleasant next up we have Two of Us by Filippo Maghetti it's a French film about two elderly lesbian neighbours who have basically been in love their whole lives but they're not out to their families and they want to move in together now that both their families have grown up moved out of the house it's kind of similar to Suk Suk in some ways it's more micro in the sense that it really is just about these two women next up we have Dry Wind by Danielle Nolasco. I watched this because some of my friends really loved it and I just need to say like as a lesbian um, I felt like this film was none of my business. <laughs> but yeah if you're a gay man who loves um, neon lights and sexy times um, boy do I have a film for you uh, and it's uh, <laughs> and it's dry wind so go watch that. Next up we have the Old Guard. Yeah, this film. New Gina Prince by the Wood. This film went off on Le Tumblr. Yeah, it really did. Which might have seemed initially surprising, but then you got to remember that what Tumblr loves is like stuff they can mine for fan fiction, you know? <laughs> and The Old Guard, what you've got not one, not two, not three, not four, but like six. Five or six immortals, each living for a range from hundreds of years to thousands of years. I mean, look, have you ever heard of anything that is more ripe for fanfiction mining um, than mm. that? And not only you've got, like, two gays, you've got, um, I think you've got two other gays, but this yeah. isn't apparent in the movie, but hopefully maybe it will in a sequel, I don't know. But yeah, The Old Guard was very fun. Probably one of my favourite action films of the year, actually, now I think about it. Honestly, the fight choreography really makes it for me. Mm. The fight on the plane between Shalice Theron and Kiki Lane. It is so hard to make a fight look interesting in a small space like that. But she really did it. I just was so impressed by that. Yeah, and shout out to Gina Prince Bifewood. She is the first black woman to direct a major superhero film, um, actually. Because of the old guard. I never thought of the old guard as a superhero film, but I guess it is. Yeah, it is. It is based on the comics by George Rucker. And I was a big fan of volume one of the comics because it was super gay. And George Rucker actually did adapt the script for the movie. So it's very close, almost like panel for panel. But um, something that also came out this year, like around the same time as the movie was volume two of the comics, which I think made me and a lot of people hate the story itself so yeah i hope that there's a sequel to the old god movie but i hope that it doesn't follow down the path that it went down next up we have summerland by jessica swale sometimes world war ii movies can make some points yep shockingly 
shockingly, but really... It's been a while. And I think, you know, one of the reasons this movie manages to make points is because did you know that you can tell stories about World War II that aren't about white men? <gasps> what? I know. What? I know. That aren't about, like, British people mourning the empire they used to have? What? Look, you might need to sit down, but it is shocking, but you can do it. But yeah, this movie has Gugum Raw in it, and so all you San Junipero gays and all you true fans of her that have loved her since Doctor Who, mm-hmm. you will enjoy it. Also, I guess Gemma Arterton is the lead, so... What do you mean, guess Gemma Arterton? Listen, okay, listen. <laughs> don't listen to this person, okay? For you Gemma Arterton fans who have been wanting to see Gemma Arterton play gay since she was Kelly in St. Trinian's but were disillusioned by Vita and Virginia. This is the movie for us, okay? This is this is it. Alright? This is the one. Beautiful ending and the story is actually really, really, really good. And it's set in the atonement house. Oh here we go. <laughs> in the cottage on the cliffs. <laughs> Next up, we have Kajillionaire by Miranda July. I really loved Kajillionaire. It's a very unique little film about, I guess, being extremely repressed due to parental issues. Mm. Also, you're gay. Mm. I can't actually think of anything like it. Evan Rachel Wood, Gina Rodriguez their chemistry is like really interesting and I feel very represented by Evan Rachel Wood's character because I too have burst into tears on a massage table because I hate being touched especially by people I don't know I found that scene too relatable Next up, I've put Broken Hearts Gallery by Natalie Krinsky. Yes, this is a rom-com about two straight people, but there's a lot of really nice casual gay representation in this. Like, the Mm. film is made up of a bunch of little vignettes of people talking about their exes, and there are so many nice little gay stories. Also, Philippa Sue's character is a lesbian, and she's really hot. Molly Gordon is in this, but she's not gay, but she's a legend. Yeah. Also, just, we love Geraldine Viswanathan. I actually teach at the school she used to go to a lot. (laughs) So whenever I walk into the school, there's like actually a big picture of her on the wall when you walk into the office. Oh. And I'm always like, I loved you in Miracle Workers. Literally, I'm like, I loved you in Miracle Workers. I loved you in, um, what was the Hugh Jackman movie called? Bad Education. Bad Education. Yep. Literally every time I walk into the school. Next up, we've got Shubmangal Ziyada Saavdan. That's by Hitesh Kowalia and Rohit Sharma. The title translates basically to Extra Careful of Marriage. It's the first Bollywood movie about gay men. I think it's super cute, and I think the songs are really fun. It's really corny and wonderful. Next up, Boys in the Band, an adaptation of the very famous play. This film was released on Netflix. It was directed by Joe Mantello, who I just learned before we started recording is our fave character in Hollywood. This is why I get excited when there are movie adaptations of plays, and I do believe Mm. that this is why movie adaptations of plays are important, is because it gives people like me, who will probably never get to see the play, access to the text that isn't just you know, blandly reading it. And what's also great about this movie is that all of the actors, they're all openly gay, which is lovely. But we gotta stop beating around the bush and talk about Zachary Quinto in this movie. He is just chef's kiss. He is so good. His looks, his line delivery, uh, that one speech he gives Michael who is played by Jim Parsons lives in my mind rent free it's just really good there has been a previous adaptation of this play from 1970 and it was one of the first big explicitly gay films to come out of America something I was thinking about the other day though was that this first movie adaptation is just the story but 
What's interesting to think about with this new version is that it's now a period drama. Oh. Yeah, and there's something really slick about it and really controlled. Obviously, the 1970 movie holds a lot of historical importance as a milestone uh, in gay cinema. But like as a gay person watching today, or just really anyone watching it today, you don't have to be LGBT, it feels really dated. But like this new one, it's not so much elevated or technical or better, but like it really accentuates the period and the context of this story, like for a present day audience to better understand it and engage with. That's so true. I didn't I didn't think about that. If you haven't seen Boys in the Band and you want to go watch it, um, just be wary. It It is a very raw look at internalized homophobia. Um, yeah. And it, and it gets quite real for a while. Also, it, it doesn't handle race very, very well. This is a play from the 60s. Yep, it's very much a play from the 60s in that regard. Um, so yeah, watch with watch with care, obviously. Yeah. Next up, we've got Moonlit Winter by Im Dae-hyung. It's a South Korean film about a mother and a daughter. They live alone together. And one day the daughter discovers through one of her mother's letters that her mother is gay. And it's a really gentle film that's really lovely and bittersweet. Next film is Gossamer Folds by Lisa Donato. It's set in the 90s and it's a story about this young boy who's like 10 or 11. He moves with his parents to a small town and their neighbors are a trans woman and her father. Alexandra Gray is so great in this movie. The greatest thing about this movie, it's a very simple narrative, but what I like what it says that it's actually really not that hard to explain to a child what being transgender means and what being gay means. Next film is Breaking Fast or Iftar by Mike Mosalem, and it's a rom-com about a gay Lebanese Muslim man who meets this really lovely guy during Ramadan. Unfortunately, the love interest in this movie is a white man, but even more unfortunate is that he speaks Arabic better than either of us do. Oh, it was really depressing, actually. <laughs> it's such a cute romance like he cooks his iftar meal for him every single night he knows how to make like all this lebanese food i really want to um but i haven't i haven't seen this movie yet but d was sending me screenshots of the food that they were eating one of the things i get really excited about in terms of representation for being lebanese is i love watching things where i can recognize food and i was just <laughs> so excited as d was sending me all the screenshots of, of their meals and I could name every dish on the table. I was just so happy. Hmm. I, re I really loved it. I felt so hungry watching this movie. I, I was hungry and I'd already, I was eating while you were sending me those <laughs> photos. What's interesting about this movie is the main character's family is accepting of his sexuality. Oh. But like he's like an outlier amongst all his other gay rap friends. I learned the word gay rap from this movie. <laughs> and I was like, this is the most amazing <laughs> <laughs> like I wish I was Arab so I could say this, but no, I'm just an Indigation. I'm, I'm a Gaysian. I'm yeah. a Gaysian. Yeah, I do have that. But um, his best friend is not accepted by his family and like out of touch with the rest of the Muslim community. And like it's there's this really amazing scene where they do talk about Islamophobia from the white gay community, but also like homophobia from the Islamic community. And it's just it's just a really good wow little scene. This film very much has the energy of those films from like the early 2000s that are made by gay directors. They're like really corny rom-coms, but also like they're trying to fit in every single thing that they want to say because they're like scared 
that they may not get the chance to say this ever again. So mm-hmm. films like, for instance, Saving Face, Touch of Pink, I Can't Think Straight. Yeah. It's like a frantic energy, but it's it's still like super sweet and corny. And I really love that. And I don't think films like that get made very often because I feel like now... Everyone wants the slick, you know? Everyone wants the... Yeah, everyone wants the slick. It's like way more subdued so that it can be, you know, passed off as like, you know, prestigious indie. Mm. You know, which is fine because there are great films like that, like Mrs. Desiree. Yes. Yeah, like I, I, I do love like the comfort. Next up, uh, we've got Second Star to the Right by Ruth Cordell. It's a Colombian film about a bisexual woman in her 30s and she's not out to her friends and they're all like married or getting married like with successful careers. <sighs> yeah, it's quite sad. Like the way that they perceive her as immature for not being at the same stage that they are at life. <laughs> it's still like a really lovely story and it kind of I love films that show that like the coming of age genre is not just for stories about teens Amen. and the way that like coming of age like for gay people can be delayed quite a bit and yeah this is just one of those wonderful films there's actually been like scholarly articles written about like queer time like it's actually mm. called queer time and it's like as an LGBT person you have a different not a different body clock biologically but a different body clock like like emotionally mm. because you experience things that the a straight cis person doesn't you wasted so much time trying to feel the wrong things mm. so you're delayed but not in oh, a bad man. way it'll all happen yeah but it's just it'll happen at a different time for you and that's that's okay it's really nice to see films like this so like a lot of the films that we've mentioned earlier they're about like older lgbt people even like seniors and it's really nice to see like this range they're definitely not mainstream stories but it's really nice to see this kind of range and this kind of interest in different generations of LGBT stories. Next up, we've got Ammonite by Francis Lee. Um, I don't want to talk about this movie for free. Go sign up to our Patreon <laughs> and listen to my review there. It's a very extensive review, I'd say. Next up, we've got Supernova by Harry McQueen. It's the gay Colin Firth Stanley Tucci movie that we were all excited for. We did get a chance to see it as part of British Film Festival in Sydney. And, um... I really wanted to like this movie Mm. because it was, you know, the gay Colin Firth Stanley Tucci movie. I really wanted to like it. I just want to say that this movie felt like a very sad fan fiction. What? I wouldn't say it's like a very sad fan fiction. I'd say it's just like every single euthanasia movie that's ever yeah, been made. Yeah, maybe that's more what gay. I mean. I just think I don't vibe with euthanasia movies. I don't vibe with dementia movies, which this film is. Dee and I are still debating about what happened at the end of the movie, but we won't have that debate here. I think it's an open-ended final <laughs> But yeah, I I did really want to love it. I do love this movie in some regards. Like I love seeing Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are amazing in this movie. The performances and the love, like you can really feel that. They have really great chemistry. You could totally believe that they've been married for like 30 plus years. Just, you know, the knowing and the familiarity. Also, I love, I love their jumpers in this movie. Yeah. Lots of good sweaters. Mm. Mm. Lots of comfy jumps. Love that. And there's a cute doggo as well. There is. There is. All right, next up, who would we be if we didn't mention this movie? Happiest Season, directed by Claire Duvall. Uh, I just want to say, first off, I do really like this movie, but I just don't like the way people are talking about this movie in like popular discourse. Mm. I don't like the way that people are talking about it. Like, it's a trashy Hallmark movie. Like, it is a rom-com, but it's also a really great 
drama exploring compulsory heterosexuality and being closeted and also like abusive families like that family like it is it's a very specific type of like familial abuse that you don't see a lot in movies it's narcissistic abuse I looked it up. Yeah, the conditional love in that family is borderline Asian, so I I felt I actually felt a little bit represented by it. You're allowed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Cleo Duvall is a lesbian icon. She has donated millions to the LGBT. She has like basically been doing everything for us since the nineties. And I just I cannot believe that she has had to defend the ending. Like, spoilers, sorry, but like, how is the main couple staying together at the end of a rom-com controversial? I really don't know, and I think, like, all the discourse kind of speaks to the kind of... It speaks to the lack of empathy, first up, that a lot of more privileged gays have for people who are closeted. Yeah, which is very, like, please check yourself on that. Mm. But also, it's kind of like the sort of moral standards that are placed on lesbian relationships. I think there's a difference between romanticizing toxicity and overcoming toxicity for the sake of romance and I think that people should learn that difference also I'm just I think this film is quite impressive in that it made me feel some sympathy for a Kristen Stewart character Mm. so well done there it hasn't made me like her but yeah yeah it's also really funny yeah it is really funny it is really funny Cleo Duvall and Mary Holland wrote the script Uh, Mary Holland is the one that plays Jane and I actually really love this film from a technical standpoint. I really love the visual comedy and the production design. Like, the mise-en-scene is off the charts in this movie, I think. She's literally <laughs> in a closet. Yeah. Mm. And lastly, I just want to mention Small Axe Lover's Rock, one of the Small Axe films by Steve McQueen. It's a film about first-generation West Indies immigrants in England in the 70s, and they're having a party together in a space that they've made for themselves, where they can be themselves, like, as a community, and where they're protected from any kind of, like, outside interference, i.e. racism, uh, just for the night. It's probably the best film that I've seen this year, actually. Oh, wow. It's only 70 minutes long as well, so highly recommend it. But yeah, I like that it shows, like, their community still has problems. It's It's not like this whole like utopic space, but it's in a situation where the problems are theirs alone and not caused by the kind of systemic issues that they face just least for this one night. And it's a little bit gay. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) It is a little bit gay. So yeah, definitely check those out. Also, the rest of the Small Axe movies are amazing. This year has kind of been a bit meh for me in terms of movies. But yeah, Steve McQueen has really raised the bar. Yeah, so Lovers Rock, it's just it's just vibes. It's primarily just vibes and it's really That's great. That's all it needs to be, baby. Next up we have documentaries. Woo, we love a good doco. First of which is docu-series Visible Out on Television. It's about the history of LGBT representation on American TV. I've actually spoken about it in a bonus episode that we've got, so if you want to check that out, go do it. Next up we have Disclosure by Michael Bentham. It's an anthology film where several trans actors and filmmakers discuss their careers and their thoughts on existing trans representation in film and television. As someone who is obsessed with criticism of film and TV, um, I just love watching things where people are talking about representation and stories that they love. I love it. It's what I'm watching or listening to in my spare time. Everyone should make anthologies. (laughs) Anthology documentaries Mm. are literally my favorite thing. 
Yeah, you can get really specific as well. So yep. cellular closet is not the be all end all. Nope. We need to be honing in our focus a bit more. Like we have the range now. Next up, we've got Born to Be by Tanya Cipriano. I actually got to interview Tanya Cipriano. I did that for Melbourne Film Festival. This film, Born to Be, focuses on the head doctor at a trans clinic for gender confirmation surgeries in New York and the influx of patients after the state passed legislation for health insurance to cover trans surgeries. So it explores the experiences of about six different patients with varied backgrounds, so people of colour, the experiences of rich people versus poor people, those with family support, those without. It also very specifically deals with the mental health of trans people. I think the most powerful message of the film is about how even with the surgeries there needs to be like a huge overhaul in terms of trans health. There needs to be a holistic approach to trans healthcare that includes society as a whole in terms of mental health, physical health. And when I spoke to Tanya Cipriano, She's not trans, but she's a huge advocate for healthcare, which is why she wanted to approach the subject in this way. And when she spoke to me about the sheer amount of research and consultation she did with trans filmmakers and trans activists about this film, like I honestly think it's a blueprint for how someone who isn't trans should approach making films about any aspect of trans life. It's really compassionate and beautiful. I really loved it. And really educational. Oh, next up we have Welcome to Chechnya which is directed by David France. This is a very difficult watch. Um, it's mm. basically more made um, so the world could bear witness to the systematic atrocities Russia and especially Chechnya are committing on gay people. And specifically, the documentary does this from the perspective of the underground rescue network that is trying to get as many LGBT people out of Chechnya as they can. Another interesting aspect about this documentary is that it does use deepfake technology to alter the faces of the victims because obviously you can't make a documentary about these people without hiding their identity because they're still fleeing persecution they're still in danger it is really really well made considering how difficult it would have been to make this i cannot imagine just how frightening it would be making this documentary obviously be careful as we always say um there is a lot of trigger warning for literally everything suicide violence if you can stomach it i do think it's a really important film to watch but if not obviously keep yourself safe Mm. but yeah welcome to chechnya it's an important watch next up is ahead of the curve by jen rainan and ruka beth meadow it's a documentary documentary about Franco Stevens, who created Curve magazine in 1989, uh, which was like one of the most successful lesbian magazines ever, and how she fought to keep it running. She's retired from the magazine and it follows her as she goes around America interviewing like young lesbians and bi women activists today and looking how new generations of women who love women face similar and different struggles. And yeah, like since it was the first magazine to have the word lesbian on the cover, the documentary also discusses like identity politics and the way the word lesbian is considered controversial still and exclusionary now. So yeah, it's a really interesting watch. Yeah, ever since you told me about this documentary, I've really wanted to watch it. It begins with Untouched by the Veronicas playing. Oh. Yep. Next on, we're moving on to TV. First up, we have I May Destroy You, which is Michaela Cole's masterpiece. Her masterpiece. Miniseries, and it explores the nuances of sexual assault and rape culture and how that intersects with racism. It's the best show of the year. 
honestly. Hands down. It's the best thing that I've seen this year. Queen Michaela Cole. I love I May Destroy You. Literally nothing tops it. Absolutely nothing. Mm. It also focuses on the differences between how gay men, especially black gay men, are treated when they report sexual assault. Each episode covers a whole new thing each time in a very organic narrative. It's so well conceived. I love it. Yeah. And Michaela Cole's performance is just... Mm. It's completely, it's like obliterating. She destroyed us. She called it, I may destroy you because she knew she would destroy me. I would still slap a trigger warning on it. Yeah, absolutely. For, for sexual assault. Be careful if you haven't seen it. But yeah, it's still really excellent. It deals with it very compassionately though. I wouldn't say it's gratuitous or trauma porn. In the vein of breakdown media as well, we have I Hate Susie, one of my favorite shows of the year, created by Lucy Preble and Billy Piper. Billy Piper plays an actress in her late 30s whose life falls apart after some... Mm, after her cloud gets hacked and some photos of her get released. We love her life falling apart, life unraveling. Her best friend and manager, Naomi, is a bisexual Iranian woman. We love to see it. She has her own subplots that revolve around being bi and also wanting to have a baby, also being single. I love Naomi. I would die for Naomi. She says the funniest things. Her- Come your way into a better person. <laughs> There are some uh, quite interesting scenes between her and Billy Piper in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Mm, yep. Mm. Anyway. What's going on? What's going on? Hello? <laughs> Next up, we have Brave New World. <laughs> the, okay. Other than I May Destroy You, this is the show of the year. I have never seen anything more chaotic in my life. It's an adaptation of the very dated Aldous Huxley novel, which you may have been forced to read at school. But this is an adaptation that completely embraces the campiness and the absurdity of that world and, like, kicks the majority of the racism to the curb, which I um I very much appreciate about it. I say majority mm. because there's still some there, mm. which is, you know, unfortunate. It is just excellent. And I say that with... It's so funny. It is so funny. Dee and I watched this in a weekend and all we did was cry laugh through the whole thing. And I say with zero irony, I genuinely really enjoyed this show. Yeah. At first it was like, oh, this is so bad, it's good. And it's like, oh no, I'm genuinely enjoying this now. I was genuinely enjoying it from the beginning because I was just laughing so hard. So yeah, I was having Mm -hmm. a great time. We are devastated. Absolutely devastated that there is not going to be a season two. I mean, okay. <laughs> I am. Okay. Look, okay. I want to. I mean, the yeah, I could, I could do with more of it, honestly. I yeah. need a show like that. And also, every character is bisexual. How about that? And it's like they collected all your favorite secondary actors that have never quite gotten their break and just chucked them all in here, and they <laughs> do really well. Mm. A lot of the people involved with making Black Mirror are involved with this series. Visually, it's so excellent. Mm. Also, just the humor is off the charts. Like it's, so <laughs> like it's so specific and unique to the story. Next up, Hollywood. We've already talked about that in a whole episode, so go listen to that. I do want to say Joe Mantella was snubbed for best actor. I agree with you there. At the Emmys, another miniseries I watched was Des, which is about the serial killer. Dennis Nielsen, who was active in the 70s in England. Dennis Nielsen was a gay man, and most of his victims were gay men as well. Out of all the true crime stories I've seen, I think this is a really interesting take because it's from the perspective of the biographer, Brian Masters. 
and like this series is based on the book that he wrote on Dennis Nielsen killing for company and the series follows him as he drafts this book and he's a gay man he wants to write this book because he wants it to be someone from the community telling the story of this gay serial killer like he didn't want to sensationalize the deaths and demonize the gay community like someone from the outside would and like the media was doing at the time and um yeah it's a really interesting series it's it's pretty difficult to watch like it's not it's not particularly violent it doesn't try to recreate or reenact any of the violence mostly just talking like mindhunter it's important the way that they show the way like a lot of the survivors didn't want to come forward because of the way the media would treat them homophobically and things like that so yeah it's just a really interesting perspective on this because i feel like a lot of true crime that focuses on queer murderers is quite sensationalized Mm. and treats their queerness as being another one of their crimes so des was a really interesting perspective i'd say um also it's it's your man's david Tennant. sure is being creepy as hell he he actually (laughs) does that quite a lot yeah he can do that very well next of high fidelity i'm not sure if this was actually just meant to be a limited series or they were intending to make more in the future either way i'm sad we're never gonna get more high fidelity was an adaptation of the nick hornby novel was made into a film with lisa bonnet and now it is a series so yeah in this version rob is a bisexual black woman played by zoe kravitz and honestly it's really great i love the style of this show it's very funky i love the way they have zoe talking to the audience in a fleabag-ish way but i think rob is more talking to herself than the audience but that's okay because i still think that works rob is bi but her best friend in the record shop is gay and he has a whole episode to himself which is really great yeah i just loved high fidelity i thought it was really unique and it was really fun and it's part of that precarious girl genre which i really love and we talked about in our bisexual fleabag episode and i'm just really sad that we're not going to see more of it i think it was a role like meant for zoe kravitz moving on we have the great not much to say here other than it's fantastic it is so good If you liked The Favourite but want to watch something slightly less depressing than The Favourite, this is the show for you. Yep. It's so colourful and fun and and there are some queer characters. I don't have a lot to say about Little Fires Everywhere, to be honest. Uh, I think it was, for me, felt like an algorithm kind of show in the sense that it did definitely have like all the right elements, but they were put together in such a boring way that I didn't really quite gel with it. If you've read the book, you know that Kerry Washington's character in the show is gay and also Reese Witherspoon's youngest daughter is gay. It's not a very mm, happy story though. It mostly deals with being outed against your will. But it is a form of representation that I do think was still pretty interesting to see. Next up, Snowpiercer. I actually don't like the Bong Joon-ho movie of Snowpiercer. I love it aesthetically, but just it doesn't make sense. But yeah, I like that this show does make sense and like actually breaks down like the logistics of this whole thing. Very excited for season two. Really excited for season two. There's some lesbians, there's some bi women. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just a really fun, colorful show. Next up, we've got We're Here. It's a reality show where Bob the Drag Queen, Shangela, and unfortunately Eureka 
in each episode, they travel to different towns and they connect with the local LGBT community there and they organize these one night drag shows. It's really funny and sweet, but I also think it's like a more honest version of Queer Eye that doesn't shy away from the homophobia and the transphobia that people experience in those small towns. I will also pop in here, I actually did really also enjoy the new season of Queer Eye that came out this year. I think it fixed most of my problems with this show. Not all of them, but yeah, watch We're Here. <gasps> Sigh. Next in fashion was a Netflix reality show, fashion designer competition hosted by Tan France and the love of my life, Miss Alexa Chung. It's not like Project Runway where they're all aspiring designers. Like all the designers in Next in Fashion are already established. They're just not like household names. Yeah, so the contest is much more intensive because obviously they know that these people already have the skills. A lot of the designers obviously are gay, are people of colour. I love this show. It was so wholesome. It was so lovely to watch Tan France like go around and ask the gay contestants about what fashion meant for them and, you know, their identity. I also obviously enjoyed seeing Alexa Chung just walk around asking people questions and like wearing beautiful clothes, doing what she does best. But sadly, because um, Netflix loves depriving me of dopamine, um, they cancelled the show. Truly devastating time for me. I waited months and months to hear about a second season. I was making everyone I know watch this show because I wanted to like get the viewership up, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> but I really loved it. It had, for me, this show had real like season 1 to 10 vibes of America's Next Top Model in the sense that it was just very pure in what it was trying to do which I really liked, but of course, well, now I'll never get to see any more of, because God forbid, I should have something nice. Speaking of Netflix stealing dopamine from you, <laughs> next up we have The Haunting of Bly Manor. Listen, this series wasn't very good. No. I'll just say that. I was like, uh, this is okay. And then when it got to episode five, which is the Hannah Gross episode, I was like, this is the best show ever. And then it just dropped everything good that yeah. was introduced in that episode and didn't continue that but it was gay and something i did really enjoy is the first few episodes is that i find with a lot of mainstream stories recently with gay characters where they're not established as gay and they're supposed to be some big reveal i find that it's always like quite obvious and i'm kind of just waiting for them to like make it official but i shockingly managed to avoid all the spoilers for bly manor and i was like wait is this, is this, is this going on? <laughs> I really missed actually being unsure and like looking in at the subtext until somebody spoiled it for me. Did I spoil it for you? Yeah, you did. I was on the phone to you and I was like, I think this show is going to be gay. And you were like, oh yeah, I've seen gifts. And I was like, oh, sorry. Okay. But yeah, it was really enjoyable in that regard. But Until I ruined it. And well, I mean, the show kind of ruins itself. I don't know. I didn't hate it. I know Mary hated it, and, and she told me that if a new haunting series ever comes out, to never let her watch it because she's going to hate yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone, but I just... Actually, you know what? I'm not sorry. I'm not going to apologize for having taste. Only reason I liked Bly Menor slightly more than Hill House was because of Hannah Tania and... Tania Miller. Yeah, Hannah and Owen. Yeah, because of Hannah of and Owen. Show. There are better haunting things out there. 
Next up, we have Vanya from Umbrella Academy. So Vanya Hargreaves, this is season two. She's free from her father's lies and control and she gets to be more herself. And this is also manifested like in a really tender lesbian relationship in the show, which was really nice to see. Also, yay for Elliot Page coming out as trans non-binary. We love them. I'm so happy for him. And it was really... It's just really lovely to see some more non-binary people. But also, like, leave him alone. Like, mind your business. Yeah. Um, Also, I don't understand Umbrella Academy fans who are like, oh, Vanya should be recast and stuff. Like, if cis actors get to play trans people constantly Mm -hmm. when they have no damn business doing it, trans people should be able to play cis characters. Also, just imagine Elliot had that influence in season two to make Hmm. Vanya a lesbian. Yeah. Who's to say that influence won't be there again? I mean, we we could have a non-binary Vanya this upcoming season which i think you know would be sick we just love you elliot page we know you probably don't listen but (laughs) if anyone does listen who knows elliot send them our love also just apologies for past episodes where you may hear their dead name moving on we have okay listen so warrior (laughs) warrior is not a good show i hate it i hated it i hated it so much but i watched it because a lot of my favorite actors with martial arts backgrounds were together and i do not recommend this show at all but i just wanted to note chun tang's character he's introduced midway through season two and he's gay and i really loved him his name was hong and he's like uh one of the first gay characters i've seen who's not particularly masculine and like really campy but is still like a complete badass when it comes to fighting he fights with a chain and it's really amazing and cool and he's really smart and he just drops in and joins the very homoerotic friendship between the two main characters good for him terrible show though so not recommended but i just wanted to talk about it anyway also i just think it's really funny because like warrior's primary audience is straight men and i think it's really funny the way the writers were like oh man we've we've introduced a gay five episodes before the entire show ends completely we should probably like explain what homosexuality is (laughs) And they do this. It's when men like other men, but only some of them. You know what, though? That's a pretty good explanation. I actually really like yeah. that. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Assam and Youngjun are so gay. They say the gayest shit to each other, but because they're always like in a brothel when they say that stuff, it's like an instant no homo. And I, I despise this show for that. Also, the white savior romance that they put Atoy in was she didn't deserve that. Now I never have to deal with that show ever again and I feel free. I'm so happy for you. And I can't wait for Mortal Kombat and Snake Eyes to come out next year because those actors are going to be there together again. Next up, <laughs> we've got Sasha Dewan as the master in Doctor Who. We already talked about him in our first episode of the year, so Absolute King. Absolute King was king. done he was done so dirty. Also, lastly <laughs> Look, TV, we had something historic happen, okay? We had something Yeah, something historic. And that was the fact that, you know, after however many damn years, fifteen years, Destiel became canon. What the fuck is Destiel? Not to flex, but I have never seen a single episode of Supernatural in my life. Um, but yeah, something historic in LGBT media representation I- history happened this year in which the gay angel 
got sent to super hell. Yeah, but also yeah. in terms of like fandom history, like this is pretty large. Of all the queer coded Malum ships of the Nordies, the, the queer baiting, queer baiting Malum ships of the Nordies and early 2010s, this was the one I least expected to become actually canon. It wasn't canon. It was like it was canon. D. You know. What are you talking about? It was canon. <laughs> you saw the same clip. It wasn't I canonized. Did. Like, jeez. I was like taking a nap in Mary's bed, and she woke me up to show me this horrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> nah, look. I just want to say to all your supernatural fans out there, look. I'm, um, if you all are happy, I'm happy. It, get well soon. <laughs> get well soon, though. Um, I'm really sorry. Or I'm really happy for you, whichever one you need me to be. I do stand in solidarity with you all, though. I I know how it feels for a show you've invested a lot of energy in to end really badly. I understand that pain on a lot of levels. Sorry for what's happened to you. Also, briefly in TV, this is very recent, but I do just want to mention, like, I'm really happy that Luke Skywalker finally has a boyfriend I don't watch- You sound like a freaking Destiel Stan when you say this. I don't watch The Mandalorian. I'm a fake Star Wars fan. But uh, obviously, sorry for anyone who hasn't seen it, but Luke Skywalker makes a brief appearance in the most recent episode, apparently, and abducts the child from Mando, and they share like a homoerotic glance. And I just- <laughs> I just think that that's beautiful. You know, I'm really glad that they finally gave my gay uncle, Luke Skywalker, a man. By the way, I've got to clarify this because Dee forgot that we're brown. When I say uncle, I mean it in like the respect way. I don't mean that he's literally my uncle and I definitely don't mean that Kylo Ren is my cousin. But yes, many happy returns. Miscellaneous things for the year. What have you got, Dee? Miscellaneous. Yeah, so we had the Magnus Archives. I really love that people have been like sending us where we're at on their Spotify raps this year. And I love that whenever we're not number one, like we're number two and number one is the Magnus Archives. Mm. The Magnus Archives is gay and it's horror and it's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And it was really great this year. Um, There was a new Rina Sawayama album. I actually didn't like it that much, but Excess is great. I like Rina Bad Friend. Has been serving the visuals mm. this whole year. No one is doing it like her. Well, Elton John named it his best album of the year. Are you disagreeing with Sir Elton John? We disagree on a lot of things, Mariana. What's this new Elton John that you mentioned? You mean the Gorilla song? No, he released a whole new album. Oh, cool. Called Jewel Box. Some of it is just re-recordings of older songs. Some of it's unreleased songs. But there are some new songs on there. And it's a really long album. It's got like 30 tracks. But it's uh, I really like it. I, I've been listening to it. There is uh, just a piano version of the Gorilla song on that album as well. But yeah. Oh, great. He's really good at retiring. He's so good at it. Look at him go. <laughs> We also had new Tegan and Sarah for the Happiest Season soundtrack. That soundtrack actually has a lot of gay artists on it, including uh, one of my favorite trans artists, Shia Diamond. She's a black American trans artist, funky sort of soul music, and I really love her stuff, and I didn't realize she had a song on the soundtrack as well. Like a music inspired by Happiest hmm. Season. The Happiest Season album is, is really cool. Is it like an almost Alice kind of Yeah, album? like concept oh, album. Okay. Like when movies have concept albums that go along with them, I really like that. It doesn't happen very often now, but it used to be the thing. I just want to briefly talk about Halsey's album, Manic. 
like I'm biased obviously but I do think it's better than her second album which I absolutely hated because it was a freaking Baz Luhrmann Romeo plus Juliet inspired concept album which was just um but I really like Manic it's a much more honest album Halsey singing about her mental illness and favorite track is I Hate Everybody which even though it's not the more obvious bisexual jam on the album that one probably goes to the Elenis interlude which I think is almost too obviously a bisexual anthem I don't particularly like that track but I Hate Everybody is just the track. That whole song is the vibe of the scene in Umbrella Academy when Lila says to Diego, like, is it okay that I don't hate you the way I hate everybody else? That whole song is that energy. It's that vibe, and I really love it. I definitely think Manic is Halsey's best album. I think it's better than Badlands. She just has a lot of fun on it. Thank you, Miss Halsey, for that album. Thank you, Mariana. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for speaking today, Mariana. Oh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I've put Deadly Class. Deadly Class is my favorite currently running comic, although I don't know, it's been super delayed this year and I don't know when it's coming back. Mm. Um, but yeah, we always knew Saya was by, but now we she's actually with Jayla. <gasps> also, Assassin's Creed Valhalla just came out. I'm actually a really big Assassin's Creed fan. It's like one of the only games I play. And I really love this new one because you're basically playing a non-binary character, Eivor. Like you can switch gender anytime you want. Yeah, it's it's the whole vibe and it's really fun. Just like terrorizing English people. I'm just fulfilling my dreams. I know, I'm really game. happy for you. Every time I ask Dee how she's going in this game, she just is so happy. The Asgard levels are like the best thing ever I've ever seen. I love hearing you talk about how you can change gender in the game and that makes you really happy. Hmm. Basically, whenever the romance option shows up, I like change gender so it's gay. It's it's a really fun way to play, playing the way Ubisoft intended. <laughs> <laughs> Finally... Oh, the Last of Us Part 2 the, came out. The Last of Us Part 2 did happen. Mary hasn't even finished playing it. I haven't actually finished playing it, which is why we haven't done a review. And I'm actually, yeah, The Last of Us is very gay, and that made a lot of people very angry, especially when it just won Game of Video Game of the Year. Made a lot of gamer boys very upset. I haven't finished it, so I can't actually deliver a judgment beyond that. But yeah, I've enjoyed what I've played so far, honestly. It's been fun watching people play it. It's definitely more cinematic than the first one, so it was actually fun to watch. That's why I personally love Naughty Dog Games, which is the company that makes Last of Us and Uncharted, because they're very cinematic games, and as someone who loves films, like I love playing them because it feels like I'm playing a movie. I personally hate first-person shooters because I'm like, this is not a movie. I can't see my feet. Um, it makes me very upset. <laughs> oh, I do want to say that even though it didn't come out this year, I did spend a lot of time this year watching Doom Patrol, which I absolutely love. D is still in the process of watching it and I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, I think it's really just a really great weird show. It's exactly the level of weird I like in shows, which is balls to the walls crazy, but still grounded um, was there anything you watched this year that not necessarily from this year that you really liked i've been watching grenada homes <laughs> it's so good <laughs> i i'm like obsessed with jeremy brett now and i'm like going through his filmography because of it Fair enough. it's really gay oof so that's our episode that's all the lgbt media that we've had a chance to catch this year there's stuff that we haven't mentioned like the prom etc but like i'm i'm not gonna watch the prom probably more that we're missing and maybe we'll talk about them later thank you for listening this year guys 
Making this podcast has actually been really great for my mental health this year. Like having something to constantly work for has kept me sane, which is really lovely. So I really appreciate it. We're glad if we helped you in some small way through the year as well. Yeah, we're glad that if we were able to keep you company or keep you occupied or keep you distracted. Yeah, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year. Once again, well done that you survived. Good job. All my love to the people that made it through and all my love to those who didn't. Hope it gets easier for everybody. We will be back. This is our last episode of the year and would usually be the last episode of the volume, but you may have heard that Captain Jack is returning in the Doctor Who special that's coming out this New Year's. So, and I know Mary and I will want to yell about that, so we'll probably be back in a few weeks and then we'll continue on with our usual kind of hiatus while we cook up some new episodes for you guys yep put them in the oven as per usual guys if you have any feedback for us anything you specifically would like us to talk about we are always open for recommendations yeah for recommendations even if you think it's silly it probably isn't tell us about it also thank you to our patrons thank you to everyone we are very grateful Thank you to all of you. If you miss us, hit us up on the socials, Twitter and Instagram at Gavy underscore club. And yeah, happy new year, guys. Happy new year. And hope you had a good Christmas if you celebrate. Or good Hanukkah. Mm. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.